Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Joining us now is Noah Stryker. Shall we hear the birds a little bit? The tweeting, the tweeting, the looking up. You know that I'm obsessed with birds. We speak about their disappearing migrations. We speak about reclaiming our night skies. We speak about a lot of things to try and help this vast extinction of birds that has happened since the 1970s, estimated over 1 billion. But we still have a few that we can look up in the sky and enjoy, and Noah Stryker is here with us to help us do that. Noah is a National Geographic author. He's just written a fabulous book on the subject. It's a primer on how to become a bird watcher. Noah, welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show today. Hello. Hello. I'm out here in uh, Eugene, Oregon. So hello from the West Coast. I've never been to Oregon. What's Oregon like? What kind of birds do you see? Uh, full of birds. I'm looking out the window at a stellar day right now. It's an amazingly blue and black bird with a lot of personality. Oh, I love that you said that. A lot of personality. That's really cool. Andrew, I'm getting a little bit of repeat. That's on your end. Noah, I'm going to have to have you call back because there's interference on our line. You're going to have to call back on either your cell phone or a different number. This isn't working. Got to call right back, okay? Okay. Thanks. We're going to hear from Noah Stryker in just a moment. I like the audio to be comfortable for you and me, and that was uncomfortable. 203-333-9422 is our number. You can call me at 203-333-9422. And we're going to be chatting with Noah Stryker about birds in just a moment. I have so many questions. I almost don't know where to begin with birds. I think when Noah calls me back, and hopefully he will, that um, the first question I'm going to ask him is, tell me about some of the birds in the Northeast that have hung around. Like why? Why is it that some birds go south and others don't? And I don't. I don't know that we know. I've got to ask Noah. Maybe he knows. Maybe he's just busy looking up and cataloging them for us. But I see him back on the phone. We'll see if we can grab him in just a moment. By the way, weather today. Just so you know, mostly sunny with a high of thirty-five to forty degrees. Tonight will be clear and cold with a low near twenty, and tomorrow is mostly sunny. I happen to really enjoy this clear, cold weather. I like it a lot. Dogs like it, too. 
They really do. They get a lot of energy from this weather. Noah, are you back with us? Yes. Can you hear me now? Yeah, this is much better. Thank you so much. So, Noah, I was looking up at the birds. Oh, I hope this is better. Ugh. We'll try. Not not great. Um, I was looking up at the birds, and I saw a cardinal the other day. And I wanted to know from you, Noah Stryker, why do some birds, and particularly here in the Northeast, if you know, why are, them hang- why are some of them hanging around for the cold weather and others are not? Usually the birds that migrate are driven by food as much as anything. People think it's the cold temperatures, but birds can endure amazingly cold temperatures. I have a Anna's hummingbird here in Oregon that's clinging onto a feeder that's half frozen <laughs> and it's doing just fine as long as it can find food. So the birds that hang around in the winter are the ones that can still find things to eat and the ones that migrate tend to be more the insectivores and birds that eat things that don't hang around to be eaten in the winter, if that makes sense. So what do what do birds eat? Tell me about that. We know that we know that the raptors, you know, your owls and your hawks, they're eating little mice, they're eating live mammals and they're swooping them away. But the regular other birds, the songbirds, what are they eating? Birds eat all kinds of things. There's birds that eat seeds. Those are the ones we tend to see in the winter, especially at our feeders, because it's easy to put out sunflower seed feeders and millet and even suet and that kind of thing. But there are birds that eat fruit as well. The waxwing is a great example of a bird that almost eats nothing but fruit its entire life. And boy, if you see what comes out the other end of a waxwing, it's um, it's bright purple. <laughs> and then there's birds that eat other birds. There are predatory birds, as you mentioned. So I suppose just like other animals, birds specialize on particular food sources, and they find that niche, and then they try to exploit it. When we are looking up in the sky and we want to see what's going on with birds, what should be the first thing that we notice? Oh, you can notice a lot if you even just watch birds flying overhead. The way that they fly, the way they interact with each other, Some birds are really social, and you almost never see them outside of a flock. But even within those social species, some of them have really tight flocks. Some of them have loose flocks. Some of them mix around. Some birds have leaders within the flock, and others are much more democratic. (laughs) Some birds are loners, and you only ever see them on their own. Some birds mate with each other and spend their whole lives together. Some birds mate in about half a second and then never see each other again. So there are a whole lot of different life strategies in the bird world. And if you watch them, you can pick up on those different characteristics. That's, I think, one of the most fascinating things about birds is just trying to interpret their various behaviors. How old are you, Noah? Oh, I'm about to turn 37, so... I've officially hit my mid-30s. <laughs> so you're a young man. Older by the day. And you're a young man, and you've decided that this is really important to you. Why? What, what about birds has captured you that you wanted to make a career of writing about it and teaching about it? I never really set out to make birding my career. It was just something I was interested in from a very young age. I got interested in birds. In fifth grade, I guess I was about 12 years old, and my teacher put a bird feeder on our classroom window that suction cupped right up to the glass and she would stop class every time a new bird showed up and make us try to identify was it like a black capped chickadee or a 
evening grosbeak or a red-breasted nuthatch. And I just thought that was the coolest thing, that by looking carefully, you could identify different types of birds. And, uh, well, it was kind of a slippery slope from there. And so these days, yeah, it's a full-time career writing and studying and leading bird tours to various parts of the world. I think that's pretty cool that you can make a living doing that. It's not like a job. But uh, I think it also goes to show how many people out there are interested in birds these days, which is also very heartening to me. What is a spark bird? What does that mean? A spark bird. That is a bird that you see often in an unexpected way or situation. You not even necessarily are a birder, and it just grabs you in a way that you can't let go of. And you become fascinated, almost against your own interest. <laughs> so birders often have a story about their spark bird, the bird that got it all started, the bird that made them a birder. Oh. For me, I think it was sort of a gradual process of becoming aware of birds through this teacher, etc. My interest in bird behavior was definitely sparked by, of all birds, the turkey vulture, Ooh. And that was because when I was in high school, I saw an episode of a David Attenborough TV series called Life of Birds. Uh-huh. And in that show, he goes out into a rainforest and uses a piece of old rotten beef to attract turkey vultures. And when I saw that show, I was like, oh, my gosh, that's the best bird feeder idea I've ever oh, seen in my life. And so I went out and I found a road-killed deer carcass, threw it in the trunk of my car, came home, dumped it in the front yard, and was like, hey, Mom and Dad, I'm going to see how many turkey vultures I can attract. And sure enough, we had like 40 of them sitting on the roof of our house by the next day. Wow. (laughs) And were your parents Um, okay with a deer carcass in their yard? Like, how did that go? By that point, I think they were pretty used to bird shenanigans from their bird-obsessed son and figured that there were worse things your kid can be addicted to. So That's very <laughs> got cool. got away with it. Where did you grow up, Noah? What part of the country? Uh, just outside of Eugene, Oregon. Oh, oh so that's where you are. Pretty good area for yeah. birds. Yeah. Well, I mean, it must be devastating to you. It is for me to hear about how so many birds. The other day I had somebody on from the... Dark Sky Association, and we were talking about how the ubiquitous light at night is throwing off so many birds, and he said that there will be birds that will fly around a building and die of exhaustion because they just can't get into a loop they're supposed to get in. It's, it's, it makes me cry. That is true. Birds are attuned to signals that we don't necessarily even consciously think about, and when they're migrating they often little songbirds often migrate at night during the dark so that they can stay cooler while they're working so hard to fly long distances and avoid predators and so bright lights can throw them off for sure especially in big cities when they're passing through um it's it's almost an intractable issue but there are lights out campaigns in different cities around the world now that are working on turning off a lot of lights uh, that are not needed after dark so that birds can continue on their way. Yeah, I'm a, I'm, I'm a very big advocate for that. We're chatting with Noah Stryker, the author of Birding Basics. So if you want to start looking at birds and create a fascination into a hobby, what what's some of the basic equipment that you need? Well, the great thing about birding is you don't need that much gear, really. 
I mean, essentially, you don't need anything at all. You just walk outside your front right. door and That's what look I up do. and see what birds are around. Right. Although, two things will definitely help. Uh, one is a good field guide that covers the birds of your area. I'd suggest at least a statewide field guide, if not a regional one, that has all the birds of that area in it, not just some of them. And then a decent pair of binoculars. Uh, people, when they first start getting into it, often get the ones out of the attic that are covered in dust that have been sitting there for a generation. But binocular technology has gotten really good in the last decade or so, so I would definitely suggest a new modern pair of binoculars. They're not too expensive, maybe a couple hundred dollars, and that gets you well prepared for going out and getting good looks at birds and being able to figure out what you're looking at. Instead of holding on to a field guide, what apps do you recommend if you just if you want your hands free to hold your binoculars but you always have your iPhone at the ready? What apps can tell you what what birds you're seeing? There's a few good birding apps now. They have different purposes. There are some field guide apps. Uh, Nat Geo has a good one. Um, Sibley also is a good bird app with the field guide built in. There is one called Merlin, M-E-R-L-I-N, that is totally free. It's produced by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. It has a full field guide built into it as well, but the great thing about Merlin is it also actively helps you identify birds within the app. So it will ask you questions and narrow down the possibilities. I love that. Or you can upload a photo of a bird, and it will tell you what it is. Oh, I love that. Invalibly. And the coolest thing that they just introduced recently is sound ID. You can hold your phone up outdoors with a bird singing nearby with the microphone on, and it will take a guess at what bird is singing. It's like a Shazam for bird sounds, and it's actually pretty accurate with the sounds as well, which is rather extraordinary technology. So you've so, used it, Merlin, and, you, and you think it's good. You, so you've used it, and you like it. Yeah, oh, yeah. I use Merlin all the time. <laughs> That's great to know. I love those little shortcuts because they vastly enhance, you know, they vastly improve whatever whatever you're doing at the time. If you can get that information quickly and say, I see that, what is that? I mean, that's part of bird watching, right? That's the fun of it. Like, what is that bird that I'm seeing that's so cute? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing how much bird ignorance there is. I mean, I don't know the names of most of the birds that I see outside. Once in a while, obviously, red one is a cardinal. Robin redbreast has the redbreast. A blue jay is a blue jay. But there are a lot of little brown birds that fly around. I couldn't tell you what they are. You don't have to know every little brown bird. That Brown birds have their own nickname. Little brown jobs or LBJs. Really? People call them. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Just because they're so hard to tell apart. I think they're one of the you know, more fun aspects of birding is trying to identify the tricky species. And just like getting to know people, the big obvious showy ones, are often, you get to know them first. But then often the most rewarding ones to get to know are the shy ones that don't necessarily make themselves known right away, and you have to do a little work to get to know them. So it's worth dialing down and paying attention even to the shy little brown birds as well. You've created this beautiful book, Noah Stryker. It's called Birding Basics. It's a National Geographic population. Who did you aim it to or for? 
Birding Basics is really for people who are getting started in birds and realize that this is something they want to know more about. So it's, it's all information on how to get started, how to get going, where to find birds, how to find other birders to connect with, and things you not, might not think about so much, like um, how to pronounce bird names that you see in your field guide, mm. <laughs> and uh, what to wear, birder fashion. Is there <laughs> such a thing? Subject. Is there, really? <laughs> yeah. That's funny. <laughs> well, it tends to be rather scrappy, I'll say, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Do you think that bird watching uh, during the pandemic, do you think it became more popular than it used to be? Totally. And I think that's been one of the most positive aspects of the pandemic is that of all the things that have been shut down, birding has not. You can still go outside and be in nature. And so lots of people have got into birding for the first time. There's been this huge surge in interest over the past two or three years. And now there's this whole group of people who are paying attention to birds because of the pandemic. So I actually think that's pretty cool. I think it's great. It's their only hope for survival. If enough people care about the birds in our skies, maybe we'll do something about the fact that we've been responsible for the extinction of at least one-third of them. Well, exactly. I mean, you can't really care about something until you know that it's there in the first place. Mm -hmm. And once you care about it, then you start to want to find ways to protect it. Absolutely. Noah Stryker, author of Burning Basics. It's a great book. I got the book. I think it's for any age and any stage. I love the pictures. Thank you for the recommendation of Merlin, the free app that will help us advance our knowledge when we're outside. Noah, thank you so much for coming on and happy holiday. Merry Christmas to you. Oh, happy holidays to you and uh, good birding. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at lisa at lisawexler.com.